Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first listen. listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Friday, May 27th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Rebound COVID. It's an issue that's been popping up for some getting sick, but it's also happening to people that were treated with the antiviral Paxlovid. Some are getting better and testing negative, only to rebound with symptoms and test positive after the illness has dissipated. This caused the CDC to change its guidelines and tell people with rebound symptoms to isolate for another five days. Karen Weintraub, health reporter at USA Today, joins us for what to know. Next, testosterone therapy is changing the game for men and aging. The hormone is responsible for regulating the male's sex drive, generating red blood cells, making sperm, and a host of other things. As you get older, these levels drop, but doctors are increasingly prescribing therapies to patients, and other companies are even offering treatment plans to boost levels. Andrew Zaleski, nutrition and health writer at GQ Magazine, joins us for how more men are looking to testosterone to improve their lives. Finally, polyamorous couples, those who are open to romantic relationships with more than one person at a time, are finding ways to make commitments official since they can't get married. It's still illegal to marry more than one person at a time. For these couples, some are turning to commitment ceremonies that share aspects of traditional marriages and others that are completely custom. Susanna Weiss, contributor to the Washington Post, joins us for how it all works. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. One out of 50 people uh, end up having some sort of a recurrence. None of those people have in the clinical trials gone on to get particularly sick or end up in the hospital. Uh, so not particularly concerning. Joining us now is Karen Weintraub, health reporter at USA Today. Thanks for joining us, Karen. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about some uh, latest developments with the COVID treatment Paxlovid. This is a antiviral that was made by Pfizer. We're seeing some interesting things, some changing CDC guidelines. So I guess they're calling it Paxlovid rebound, where people are taking the medication, uh, maybe testing negative for COVID, then feeling kind of crummy a few days later and testing positive all over again. And this right. is causing a little bit of changes to some of the CDC guidelines saying that people should start isolating again for five days, I think, if they do start testing yep. positive. So, Karen, what are we seeing with all of this? Right. What I actually didn't realize until I started reporting this is this post-COVID rebound has been a thing all along. A small percentage of people have apparently recovered from COVID, even tested negative for a couple of days, and then got symptoms again and often tested positive. 
So a doctor I spoke to said he's seen this in maybe two, three, four percent of his patients all along since 2020. So what's not clear is whether what we're seeing with this drug is specific to the drug, if it's more people on the drug who are getting this, or if it's just the same thing that we're seeing normally, but because people are tracking themselves more carefully, that we're becoming more aware of it in connection with Paxlovid. Right? Yeah, it's pretty interesting because, I, I mean, I, I, I went two and a half years not going right without <laughs> getting sick with anything or even getting COVID. <laughs> And it recently caught up with me and it kind of kicked ah, my butt, sorry. you know, but I was contemplating, should I go to the doctor and maybe get some a course of these antivirals? I decided against it only because I wanted to tough it out. You know, I didn't think I needed it. It wasn't that bad. But then, yeah, you go back and, and you start seeing these things. But So tell me about what the CDC said, because they're changing some of the guidelines saying you should isolate again if, if you get that rebound. Right. One of the open questions has been, when you have COVID, should you test before you go back out into the world? So I recently had COVID also. I was testing positive on a rapid test for 11 days yeah. after I had COVID. And I was very careful in that time frame. Even though after five, I was allowed out in public, I was very vigilant about a mask. And I really did try to avoid enclosed spaces for those 11 days. But in the past, the CDC has said five days of isolation is enough, then wear your mask for another five, and then you're good. With Paxlovid, because people are testing so much, they're seeing that they are going negative and then positive again. CDC says if that happens, you should start the isolation period all over again. But honestly, we, we just don't know. <laughs> there's not enough data to really say there's one study that found that somebody who had this rebound infected their family members. So it's possible to be contagious with this rebound. In most cases, I don't think I've, I've asked several people, they said they'd never heard of a hospitalization from a rebound. It seems to be sort of a lesser symptom or your body's just getting rid of the last dregs of the virus. So it's just not clear how dangerous that period is. But in an abundance of caution, CDC is saying that you should isolate if you're positive. Right. And that's, what, and that's one of the criticisms that comes out of it, right? Should we right. be changing public policy because of this? I guess, as you mentioned, right, the study that was cited by the CDC was really just a report of a single case of a rebounding patient passing on the virus. Is that enough to, you know, apply that to everybody? I guess when you're being super cautious, yes. But again, the criticism is, should that be changing public policy? And again, I mean, some of it is common sense versus public policy. You know, if you're testing positive, there's a chance you're contagious. If you can possibly stay home and avoid other people, it just seems like the sensible thing to do. Not everybody can afford the test or can afford to stay home. In those cases, people should be really vigilant about wearing a mask until they're sure they're not contagious. One of the things when the Paxlovid came out, obviously, right, everybody was saying it was a huge breakthrough, miraculous, that it was so effective, right, cutting the risk of hospitalizations and death by 89%. Everybody was way on board, but you know now we have the stories about the rebound. As you said, it's happening with people that aren't even taking Paxlovid. But we're also uh, tell me if you've heard of this. People are calling it Paxlovid mouth. Also, uh, complaining of a like a bitter metallic taste. Somebody said it was like grapefruit mixed with soap that they're getting when they're on the drug. I mean, those kinds of side effects are fairly typical with drugs. I think with certain drugs, so I'm not surprised by that. And everything you said about Paxlovid is still true. It's very effective at preventing hospitalizations. The real world data seems to be holding, to be exactly repeating what they saw in the trials. So all of that is true. It's still a great drug if you're at high risk. I, th I think some of the differences that we're now, so many more people are taking it now. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just the people who are immunocompromised or over 65 who are taking it, but even people like you who, who are mostly healthy who are considering it. 
So I think that may be some of the explanation is just that so many more people are taking it that we're seeing, you know, the variation that's typical with with any drug or any situation. Right, exactly, because the uh, administration started those test to treat programs, right, where you if you get uh, tested and test positive, they might send you home immediately with that stuff. So you're right. A lot of people are a lot more people are taking it. And we're starting to see a little bit more of the, the real world effects of what's going on. And again, it's great. I don't want to be in a hospital. You know, I mean, I think it's terrific if it's saving people from from being in the hospital. But the more marginal benefit you get, the more these side effects matter. You know, if you weren't going to end up in a hospital anyway, then maybe having a lousy taste in your mouth and having to isolate for an extra few days is a bigger burden. And those are just things that we're learning as, as we see this drug in action. Karen Weintraub, health reporter at USA Today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. And then once they began trying to optimize their levels or use drugs or use different therapies to raise their levels, they found that they felt a lot better afterward and had more motivation and more energy. And uh, I mean, as you said, it kind of turned their lives around. Joining us now is Andrew Zaleski, nutrition and health writer at GQ Magazine. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. Sure. Thank you. Let's talk about an interesting write-up you had on testosterone therapy and how a lot of guys are turning to this to really transform their aging process. You know, a lot of people are uh, get sluggish and whatnot, and uh, this hormone therapy has become increasingly popular. There's obviously a lot of companies that are providing uh, things for this, but there's all sorts of stuff that goes into it. And obviously, you know, for people just to inform them, right, testosterone is responsible for a lot of stuff, regulating the sex drive generating red blood cells, distributing body fat, uh, it plays a big part in the body. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the key hormones, and it serves multiple functions. I mean, there's certainly the functions that we think about. You mentioned one of them regulating the sex drive, but there are all of these other functions that maybe might not be top of mind. You mentioned red blood cells, body fat. It's important for bone density. It's important for muscle mass, important for making sperm. And it can also help moderate and your energy levels and make sure that you're you're actually feeling good. So you spoke to a number of people that have uh, started this process, tried out some of this testosterone therapy, and really they feel great about it. They say it kind of changed their lives. So some of the folks that I spoke with didn't even know what their testosterone levels were, and then they got tests done. It's just a blood test that you get. Found that their levels were lower and then began thinking, Maybe my lower level of testosterone is perhaps the reason why I'm feeling so tired or perhaps the reason why I have less motivation or a lack of energy. And then once they began trying to optimize their levels or use drugs or use different therapies to raise their levels, they found that they felt a lot better afterward and had more motivation and more energy. And uh, I mean, as you said, it kind of turned their lives around. Yeah, and you know, those are some of the normal people you spoke to, so to speak, right? We've all seen some of the celebrities out there, Joe Rogan, uh, Sylvester Stallone, who's uh, is in his 70s, I think, and he's still huge. And, uh, you know, Dax Shepard, uh, other celebrities kind of joining onto this. I guess there was a study that found the number of men on testosterone quadrupled from 2003 to 2013. So, you know, a lot of guys, a lot more people trying it, but doctors also getting in on this. They're prescribing this increasingly to patients. The thing that's going on is we are chronologically aging, but people are looking for ways to maybe keep their biological age younger. So feel fitter and feel better even as they get older, even as they have more birthdays. And so I think there's 
kind of this new crop of medical professionals who are looking at various hormone therapies, testosterone therapy being one of them. And if it's appropriate, they'll turn to that and offer it to their patients and get them on some sort of regimen where they incorporate testosterone into anything else they might be doing. There are a lot of doctors that urge caution with a lot of this, right? They say a lot of lifestyle factors play into testosterone levels for men. You know, you can do a number of things to help. And uh, I guess even uh, some cause for concern, I guess if you're doing some of these testosterone therapies, it does shut down sperm production, which is kind of an interesting, <laughs> interesting thing. And so, so those are some of the concerns with all of this. You should only do testosterone therapy in consultation with your doctor or a medical professional. Always, always, always. Don't just go looking for something and, and use it because you've read about it. But there are a variety of things that you can just do in your life that can help keep your testosterone levels at your good natural baseline. I mean, getting enough sleep is one of them. If you don't get enough sleep, you'll wake up in the morning, you're going to feel more sluggish. And that actually is a function of your testosterone not being at the highest level it can be. The thing about sperm, you know, everyone knows about the pituitary gland. It secretes two hormones. One of them is responsible for making testosterone. But if you inject or take testosterone exogenously, you don't produce it yourself, then what happens is you kind of mess up with this feedback loop of the pituitary gland and eventually will shut down sperm production because it thinks it has enough testosterone in the body already. So there are just different things that you should keep in mind prior to even talking to a doctor about this. Yeah. You know, and, and then if you still think that you should maybe try it or you're interested in trying it. I mean, that's the point at which you sit down with your doctor and you kind of go through everything. What is your diet? Do you exercise? Do you get enough sleep? How about the levels of various vitamins in your body? Are those all where they need to be? And then you can make a better call as to whether you should try testosterone therapy or, or any other hormone therapy, frankly. And it's an interesting thing too, right? It's kind of spurred this little industry. There's a number of the doctors and people that you spoke to are partners in a company that are doing these treatments and whatnot. I, I had a, a neighbor who was out of town one time. He asked me, hey, I have some vitamins and stuff at this place. Can you go pick them up for me? Because he was going to be out of town for a few weeks. I got there. It was some testosterone stuff and some HGH stuff. And I was just like, wow, okay. okay. I didn't, you know, he's older than me, but, and he looks great. And, you know, I just thought he worked out a lot, but, you know, then he had me there go, going to pick up some of those things. But it really has kind of spurred this industry too. Yeah. Again, I mean, it comes back to sort of the premise of the article when we were starting out was just what is all this stuff within the context of anti-aging? This whole idea that again, as you get chronologically older, there are things that you can do to kind of feel biologically younger. And I think this is where a lot of this has been coming in, in recent years, this whole idea that we all age, but we'd like to kind of stay as close to our peak performance as possible, even as we get older. And I think these hormone therapies that doctors prescribe are one of the ways that people can do it. Andrew Zaleski, nutrition and health writer at GQ Magazine. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. 
Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. To anyone in the outside world, he would be my boyfriend. We don't use that word, we say partner, um, so he's my partner. I also have another partner, Kayla. Isaac and I met Kayla together, we actually like sought her out. Joining us now is Susanna Weiss, writer, sex educator, and sex and love coach. Thanks for joining us, Susanna. Yeah, thank you. Let's talk about some uh, interesting things with relationships, more specifically polyamorous people. So these are people that are, it's a, it's a consensual form of non-monogamy. They can be with more than one person at a time. And, you know, it's all understanded between the group and all. But you recently wrote an article for the Washington Post talking about how some of these people are looking to make commitments and uh, more formal, uh, you know, shows of commitments. You know, you can't get married because of the way uh, laws work around the United United States, but they're uh, going through commitment ceremonies and other things like that just to try to make things a little more official, at least for them. So, Susanna, tell us a little bit more about it. So this article is about people who have more than one partner and are unable to marry all their partners because in the U.S. it's illegal to marry more than one person. And so these ceremonies, commitment ceremonies, can be quite like weddings. They could have all the elements, except it's not legally binding, but it's binding to these people. It's a public declaration of their love to their family and friends and a way to be publicly acknowledged when much of the world doesn't acknowledge the form of relationship that they're in. So in your article, you profiled a few people. Uh, one of them uh, was uh, Sarah and Brandon. They're a couple. They're legally married. And they brought another person, Matt, into their relationship. And uh, I think they live together now. They've been all been together now for a couple of years. They're even looking uh, to have a, a child together now and all kind of share equal responsibilities in this. So tell us about them and their story and, and what they're doing. They're, they're going to go through with one of these commitment ceremonies. Yes. So Sarah and Brandon, I believe, got married over a decade or they started their relationship over a decade ago. And they met Maddie on a hiking trip about two years ago. And they all fell in love and they all dated one another and decided that they wanted to have a commitment ceremony to mark that they're all at the same level and they live together and are planning to co-parent the child, all three of them. They're working with a lawyer to help make sure they can all be guardians of their child. And this was important to them to show this commitment in order to be established as a family and in order for 
their community to be able to support them in that. So they want to be more open about the relationship. They don't want to hide anything, obviously, and really let the community that they live in obviously know that. And and to work with a lawyer so that they can all have kind of equal status as much as they can is important too, right? Uh, when the kid starts going to school and, uh, you know, different people are picking them up. So that's a, a very interesting aspect and, uh, you know, just goes to show you how far they're willing to go to make this as official as possible. Yeah, and it's also important to acknowledge that polyamorous units still can't have all the legal rights that married couples do. And a lot of them can't afford or don't have access to lawyers who can help them have some of the rights. And so many people want that to change within our legal system. So tell me a little bit more about some of these commitment ceremonies and, and how they play out. I mean, I know they, some of them share aspects of a more traditional wedding. Others, uh, you know, just have a little bit more fun with it. So I, I know, and I'm, as I mentioned, you spoke to a few people kind of going through this process. So just, you know, if you can just tell me a few of the differences that they're going through. So I spoke to a wedding planner, Amber Diamato, who plans such ceremonies, commitment ceremonies, as well as traditional weddings. And she was telling me that some of her clients have done such things as having a dance party. A few of them took place in Central Park in New York City. People reading vows to one another, having people who are already in a relationship sort of give their blessing to those in their each relationship who are joining with each other. And um some of them, yeah, I spoke to a couple, Rachel and Tom, who talked about Rachel Ward Blue because they identify as genderqueer and don't relate to the stereotypical wife role. And they had people, they called their people rather than bridesmaids and groomsmen because they wanted to sort of not have it be gendered in that way. And people have done all different sorts of things. People have held ceremonies outdoors and you know, all the typical things. One person had a cookie table instead of cake. Probably not, probably nothing to do with being polyamorous, probably just a preference. But one right. of the points made by a therapist I interviewed was that everybody can rethink these conventions, not just polyamorous people. Susanna Weiss, writer, sex educator, and sex and love coach, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. 
The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, Sleep Tight Stories.